Amen. Good morning. It's wonderful to see you all. You can stand if you are able or would like to. We're going to worship the Lord this morning. I'm just going to say a brief prayer as we come into his presence. God, we're so grateful to be here this morning with our brothers and sisters to worship you, to lift you up, to hear from your word. We ask, God, that you would receive our song as we worship you, imperfect as it may be. God, we want to glorify you this morning. That is our goal. So we ask you, Lord, to meet us here, to fill this place, to fix our eyes on you just for a moment so that we can learn how to be aware of your presence even as we go from this place. So Lord, I just ask that you would bless our efforts, that you'd be here with us, and that we would feel your presence. Amen. Peace in my trouble. 
this call to worship from Psalm chapter 134, verses 1 through 3. It says, Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord, maker of heaven and earth,
Let's pray. God, my heart is overwhelmed with gratitude this morning as I think about these words, as I think about the few things that I have to boast about, as I consider what little things that I actually know. God, I am so aware of all of the things I don't know, of all of the things I haven't figured out. But one thing is for sure, and one thing is true, that we can boast in Jesus Christ. This is what we know. This is what we know is true, that Jesus, through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, we have been given new life in Christ. And we may not be able to explain fully how that's possible. We may struggle to put into words the change that has taken place in our hearts, but we can know for sure that God, you are so good. You are so loving, you are so gracious, you are so merciful, and we see that fully in the life and death and resurrection of King Jesus. And so even in the midst of an ever-changing world, even in the midst of, of changing circumstances, when the things of this world that ought to be sure fail us, when we come up short, not knowing what's happening or what's going on or what to think, we can boast, we can rest in the unchanging grace and love of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that if there is someone here, if there is someone watching this morning who hasn't experienced that love who hasn't tasted and seen the goodness and the mercy and the grace that you so freely give, God, I pray that you would meet that person right where they are. God, I pray that you would draw near, that you would overwhelm this person, overwhelm us with your presence, with your goodness. May we have what, what John Wesley explained as an overwhelming warming of the heart. Would you overwhelm us with your love once again? God, I don't ever want to be in the place where I'm not brought to my knees, as the Apostle Paul would say in today's passage, at the thought of your love and how undeserving I am. I pray that we are never unmoved when we stand in the presence of an all-knowing, all-powerful, never-changing, loving, gracious God. May that continue to overwhelm us. May that continue to excite us. May that continue to warm our hearts and may it fill us with this overwhelming desire to share that love with everyone. God, I know that there are surely people this morning who come before you who are weary. Maybe there's some discouragement. 
God, there's probably some depression, anxiety, restlessness that is represented in this room today. And I'm thankful for the words of Jesus. I'm thankful that Jesus, you uttered words to those who may be experiencing these things and more, and you invite us to come. And you invite us to bring these things before you. And you invite us to let you carry these burdens. And in exchange, you give us yours, which is light, which is bearable. Jesus, we thank you that we're not alone in these moments of of discouragement, of of weariness, these moments where we just feel anxious and and out of control and not sure what to do and, and just dissatisfied with where we are in life. Jesus, I thank you that you made a space for us, for those who who carry these very real burdens. Jesus, I pray that, that as we come openly, honestly, and faithfully before you, naming some of these things which plague us today, I pray that you would meet us there with, with rest, with comfort with peace, with your strength that is enough to carry us through. Jesus, I thank you for for the fact that we can celebrate and praise your name because you are high, you are exalted, you are Lord of lords, you are King of kings, but I am so also, I'm also so very grateful, King Jesus, that, that we can come before you knowing that you stoop down low and you meet us where we are. God, you are so good and you are so faithful. And this morning, I've been reminded on multiple occasions of your faithfulness. There are people here who are celebrating your faithfulness. And we thank you, God. We thank you that even though we wait a very long time to to see the breakthrough or what we are, are praying for, God, you are so faithful. And you never give up on us. And for those who are still waiting, God, for those who are still waiting to see the promise, for those who are still waiting to see you come through, to to be reminded of your faithfulness, of your goodness, of your provision, God, would you meet them there in the waiting? God, I pray that as we open up your word today, I pray, Lord, that it would meet us, that we would hear with fresh ears, with an open heart this morning. I pray that that we would be open to how you want to challenge us and instruct us and guide us. God, I pray that you would anoint this that has been prepared. Holy Spirit, may I follow your cues and your lead and may you open our hearts 
And God, we give you all the glory and all the praise. And we pray all of this in the name of King Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen. All right, well, we have some sort of unofficial uh, business to take care of this morning. I've got some helpers who are going to help me. Uh, Back by popular demand is Name Tag Sunday, where you all, uh, some of you obligated or not, are going to get a name tag. And so I'm going to ask my two helpers to help me begin passing those out. Yes, now is the cue. You can do that now. And, and everyone's going to get a name tag this morning, and name tag Sunday is something that we did, well, it wasn't even an official thing. Uh, I, I used name tags as a part of a sermon illustration, it's been a few months now, and uh, just to make a point, as we do sometimes, and there was a lot of positive feedback, and, and I've intended to bring the name tags out again, and I have failed on multiple occasions for one reason or another, and lots of times people are like, I really want to do name tag Sunday again, and so... Back by popular demand, you get your name tags, write your name on them, and, and the hope and the goal of Name Tag Sunday uh, is, is that you will uh, meet someone or, or take the opportunity to engage with someone who you may not normally engage with because it's like one of those things where you're like, I know I've met this person, but I don't remember their name, and I feel awkward being like, hey, you, how's it going? And so now you have a name tag to to address this person properly, and everyone knows who everyone is uh, because we are a community here. We are a community at BFCN, and we take community very seriously, okay? I, maybe you don't, but I take community very seriously. And I think part of living in a faithful community with each other is is taking the time to know names and stories, taking the time to to care about knowing who people are and, and where they're coming from and what their stories are, and name tags can help us with that. So thank you so much, ladies. Nora, you may need to help Bella finish up here. Do you have some more that you could, or is that everybody? No, okay, so Nora, help, just run down back there and, and just help catch those that haven't. If you haven't gotten a name tag, lift your hand up and we'll, we'll, we will joyfully bring those to you. <laughs> okay, while they're wrapping that up, please write your name on them. And I fully intended to have one of my own and I don't, so... Um, I would need a name tag and a pen if I were going to participate, (laughs) so um, I'll put one on after church. But I'm Pastor Nicole. It's nice to meet you if I haven't met you yet or if I haven't seen you in a while. Uh, This morning, while they're finishing up, um, we are going to be picking back up in our series um, of of going through the letter of, of Ephesians, this letter that the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. We are in chapter 3 this week, and we left off at the end of chapter 2. It's been two weeks ago now. And in in chapter 2, we left off with with Paul's address 
to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And, and Paul has, has implored, has encouraged them to come together and to be united as one. Because up until uh, Jesus came, Jews and Gentiles didn't associate with one another and they kept their distance from each other. And we kind of went into all the reasons why, and so we won't do that again. But but Paul is, is encouraging Jews and Gentiles to come together and live in unity, right? We talked about how this dividing wall of hostility has been torn down and a new foundation is built. There is a new building. It's the body of Christ. And together we, we are one in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And no one is excluded. All are uh, one in Christ Jesus. And so that's where we left off. And so today we're going to pick up in chapter 3. And we're going to pick up in verse 14. And so just to kind of fill in the gap of what we're not reading through today, uh, Paul continues at the beginning of this chapter to encourage the Gentiles specifically. Paul is imprisoned, which he says to them. And, and I've read uh, different things, but, but I have often read that, that it's believed that Paul could have been imprisoned at times because of his willingness to include Gentiles, even when it wasn't socially acceptable, even when people were still resisting it, that Paul was so dedicated and faithful to including the Gentiles, even though he himself was a Jew and, and worshiped and associated with other Jews. Sometime this, sometimes this got him into trouble. And so perhaps that's why he is imprisoned in this moment. But regardless, he encourages the Gentiles and, and eventually everyone saying that it's a worthy cause. Because Paul is passionate. He, he is passionate about seeing everyone come together as one. He knows what's at stake here. He knows what's at stake if we don't come together as one. And he is so passionate about wanting the Gentiles to know that you are God's children, that you are invited to call him father. You're invited to come before him with boldness. And so therefore, you ought to be encouraged. He says, don't be discouraged. Be encouraged because I am, am so happy to see and work for your unity and your uh, ability to belong. And so that's, that's kind of where he leaves off. And so I'm going to invite you to stand, if you're able, as we pick up in verse 14. So Ephesians 3, 14, reading through verse 19. And so Paul says, For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Can you say thanks be to God? Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Paul kind of gives me, in my mind, an invitation to go deep here. So we're going deep today. I hope that's okay. 
We're going to go deep today because I just feel like Paul really invites us to go deep and do some exploring here. So that's what we're going to do today. This language, I don't know if you noticed it. Perhaps I didn't read it the best that I could have, but I, I sense that this language feels particularly powerful. Did you sense that as you read the words, as you listened to the words of this passage? The language to me feels particularly powerful. The language that Paul uses to me is this invitation to dive in and to go deep in exploring what is the love and character and nature of God. And so that's what I did. And I've had the the privilege of sitting with this passage for two weeks now. And and so I have sat in, in in the depths of what Paul is inviting us to And it feels particularly powerful. As we just read, Paul prays that the love of Christ would do many things, I think. But he prays specifically that the love of Christ would establish the church in Ephesus. He prays that the Ephesians, the Christian Ephesians, that they would be rooted and grounded in this love. He prays that they would somehow grasp the width and the length and the height and the depth of God's love. And so I really started thinking about this kind of couple of questions here. Do we try to grasp the width? I knew I was going to combine these words because that's what I love to do when I'm preaching is just put random words together. But do we, like Paul, try to grasp this love and try to understand it fully? And if so, how do we try to do that? How do we try to explore the depths of God's love? I think we try to, at times, even measure this love, which is what the the vibe that I get when I read these words. It's like we're measuring God's love here, or we're invited to. And I think that artists have have tried to capture this love, right? And they they depict through their pictures, through, through what we can see, the love of Christ, and they do that in a number of ways. I think poets really do a great job at, at inviting us to explore the mystery here because it is so very mysterious and so very difficult to comprehend at times. And so I think poets probably do a particularly good job at inviting us to sit in the tension, in the mystery, the unknown kind of question like, what did I just read? What does that even mean, right? And I think authors and writers, they they use words to try to describe God's love. And certainly musicians, they compose music that, that invites us to explore God's love. One of the songs I was thinking about this week that do, I mean, we could spend hours talking about songs that that invite us to explore, but don't worry, we're not going to. But one of the songs I was thinking of um, every year at District Assembly Regardless of which district you're on, uh, the Nazarene churches on that district gather together every year for district assembly, and, and there's always an ordination service. And if you've never been to an ordination service, I, I, I highly recommend you attend one because they are so powerful and moving. But every year at the ordination service, the elders choir, those who are ordained elders, are invited to gather together, and they sing a song for the congregation, kind of begrudgingly, like we're like, okay. Okay, you know, we'll do it. Some of us are are not as good as singers as good of singers as others. But one of the songs that we almost always sing is And Can It Be by Charles Wesley, brother to John, right? 
And, and that song always touches me, always moves me. That's pretty much the only time I ever hear or sing that song. And I just, I think that Charles Wesley was exploring the depths of God's love in that song. I'm not going to sing it for you, okay? Because that's a, for me, that's a particularly challenging one to sing. It's like up and down and all over the place. But he says, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love, and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. No condemnation now I dread, Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head enclosed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Are you singing it? I really wanted to sing that last part for you, but I am so not confident in my ability to carry it through. I just can't do it. I'm sorry. I wanted to. I practiced this morning, but I just can't do it. I can't do it, but it's good. If you haven't listened to that song, you should go listen to it. It's really good. And then I love, I'm pretty sure that this was not planned because Nikki plans so far ahead for the music, and I am usually the one she's waiting on, and so I, I do a really bad job of keeping her updated, like, you know, weeks and weeks in advance on my texts. And so I'm pretty certain that this song was chosen before she ever knew my text today, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, right? We were already exploring how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, I love that so much. That is the Holy Spirit at work, friends, that we were already being invited to explore how deep is God's love for us. We spend a great deal of time, energy, and effort trying to grasp and understand this love of God that it sometimes feels impossible to fully grasp. I feel incapable of fully being able to understand this love. And I just wonder, is that what Paul is trying to do here? Is Paul inviting us to measure something that really can't be measured? Is Paul inviting us to measure the immeasurable? Is he inviting us to explore the love of God that is so deep that you have to be fully immersed in it and daily walking and living in it before you can even begin to comprehend and understand how great his love is. And I think that it's a possibility that this is what Paul is inviting us to sit in and to really just explore. Because in previous sections, you may remember that we explored just how incredible this love and grace of God is, that it's, it's not deserved. None can boast, right? No one has done anything to earn it, to deserve it, but it's ours, it's ours to experience, to taste, to receive, but there's always more to discover. There's always more to discover. So here's what I think. I think that something that is as equally important to Paul is that not only we try to see and experience and grasp the love of God the love that God has for us. I think that's incredibly important, and I think Paul is trying to get us to understand or to at least understand the best that we can God's love for us. 
but. I think that Paul is also inviting us to live it out just as much as we possibly can. I think that just as, it's just as important for Paul that we would both experience this love and that we would live out this love in tangible ways. I think for Paul, not just for Paul, but certainly for Paul, that, the, that they are inextricably linked. Kind of like you are so aware of Christ's love that you can't help but live it out in all that you say and all that you do as much as you can, right? We are going to mess up. We're going to fall short. We are at times going to fail, okay? But as much as you can, like you are so overwhelmed with this love that God has for you that, that, that you feel compelled with all that you have and all that you are to live this out so that someone else can experience this kind of love. And listen, it might be the Holy Spirit, but I could not get away from this question this week. I, I didn't know what to think of this question. It, it kind of struck me as, I don't think people are going to understand this question, but I could not get away from this question. This question that, that, that just was placed on my heart and I could not get away from it is, do we love in such a way that puts Christ's love that we see and read about here to the test? Let that sit with you for a minute. And I'm not talking about, you know, like, do not put the Lord your God to the test kind of way. But I mean, like, do we experiment with the kind of love that Paul is, is imploring us to try to grasp? Do we test it by, by working it out, by letting it work itself out in us and by living it out with others? And I'll confess that perhaps the reason that this question was, was laid on my heart and I couldn't get away from it is because as I read Eugene Peterson's translation, the message, this is how he puts these few verses. He says, I ask him that with both feet planted firmly on love, that you'll be able to take in with all the followers of Jesus, the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breadth. Test its lengths. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. Live full lives, full in the fullness of God. Are you with me? You see what I mean when I, when I say, when I think about this question, do we love in such a way, do we, followers of Jesus, love in such a way that puts Christ's love that cannot be measured, although we try, to the test? Do we love in such a way that what only Christ can accomplish in the human heart is seen and experienced, even when it doesn't feel possible? Do we work out this love in such a way with others those who are easy to love and those who are the most difficult to love? Do we work out this love in such a way with others that really helps them and us experience the fullness of, of, of Christ's love that we will never really understand? Told you we're going deep. What I, what I couldn't get away from this week is that we are recipients of this love, right? And it's Paul's prayer, I think, 
that we would be so aware of this love that it would fill us to the brim, that it would overflow in a way that shocks people, in a way that compels people, and in a way that just doesn't make sense. Here's something else I couldn't get away from these past few weeks. I could not stop thinking about Paul's words to the Ephesian church in the letter Ephesians. And I couldn't stop thinking about that held next to John's letter to the church in Ephesus that we read in Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2 verses 1 through 7 says this. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Okay, just so you know, that means this is from Jesus. <laughs> okay, these words are from Jesus. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you found them false. You have persevered and you have endured hardships for my name, and you have not grown weary yet, but I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. But whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I'm doing something that I don't really love to do, and that is hold two really weighty passages together without fully being able to dive in and tell you everything that I think you should know, even though there's so much I don't know, about the second passage. But what you do need to know is that Paul was writing to the church in Ephesus, right? And he's writing these things to them. He's even commending them at times. Remember chapter one? I thank God for the love that you have for one another. I thank God for the love that fills you. And he's encouraging them to continue to lean into this love and unity. But 30 years later, that's not very long, 30 years later, John is bringing these words that are indicting to the Ephesian church from Jesus who says, listen, I know, I see you, you're working hard, you're hustling, you're doing all the things that, that make you look good, and, and I know you're working hard, you don't quit, you don't give up. I see you, I see you pressing on. I see that you are persevering. I see that you call out the sinners and you call out the pretenders, right? Uh, you snuff them out, you call them out. I see you, uh, I see you. you. You don't stand or tolerate sin. I see you and I commend you for that. But, and man, this is like the biggest but that I've ever sat with ever. <laughs> it's a big but, 
you have forsaken your first love. So there's a problem. There's a problem here. You have abandoned the love that found you out. You have abandoned the love that picked you up out of the depths. You have abandoned the love that pulled you out of the pit and gave you a new name, a new place, a new home, a new foundation. That love that found you, that you once knew, discovered, and lived out, you've abandoned it. You have lost your identity. I no longer recognize you. You have lost sight of this love that once captivated you. And I'm struck by this question, do you see how far you've fallen? Do you see how far you've fallen? Some of you aren't going to like this. But sometimes I wonder if the church then and today is more concerned about protecting and preserving God's love than they are with practicing and embodying God's love. And I get it. Listen, I get it. The world is changing every day. The world is is evolving, and it is perhaps becoming more and more unrecognizable, and, and that scares us, right? That fills us with fear. But sometimes what we're tempted to do Instead of of perfect love casting out that fear, does that sound familiar? Instead of, of trusting that perfect love is going to cast out that fear, that fear often drives us to harsher rules. To, to stricter boundaries, to deeper lines in the sand, or to what some scholars say, a loveless legalism. And I think that what was true for the church in Ephesus, and I think it's true for us today, that the incomprehensible, overwhelming, ridiculous, reckless love of Christ that we often sing about, that we have experienced, is more than enough for this moment. It was more than enough for that moment when Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus who, remember two weeks ago, we kind of explored what it looked like to live in Ephesus, this pagan city where there's like, uh, there's marches to the, the temples and they're, they're praising the gods and goddesses and the Christians are having to faithfully come together and, and to love one another, to be united together and to share that love of Christ with this pagan city that so desperately needs the love and lordship of Christ. But Christ's love was enough for that moment. It was enough for the moment 30 years later. And it's enough for us today that fear doesn't have to be what drives us further into our camps, further into our groups of isolation, further to these places where we are known for what we are against and known by who we hate and who's not welcome and who may not be going to heaven and who may not be a Christian. And therefore, we lose our light. We lose our effectiveness. That's what it means to have your lampstand removed. You will no longer be effective. There's this phrase that you may have heard of called, love the sinner, hate the sin. Have you heard that one? I myself have uttered this phrase at times. I've sat in what this phrase is intended to mean. And hear me out when I say, 
I know what we mean by that most of the time, and I know what we want to mean by that phrase most of the time. And don't hear me casting judgment on you if you have uttered that phrase or if that's a phrase that you frequently use or live by. I get it. I know what we want to mean by that phrase. But I also see that at times the lines become a little bit blurred and before too long, love and hate, the line is blurred. We forget who we're loving, who we're hating, what we're loving, what we're hating. And I think that this phrase, although well-meaning at times, and, and again, I'm not casting judgment, I'm not saying thou shalt not use this phrase, but is it possible that, that this has become such a, a definition for the church, for Christians? And, and I wonder that if, that if this phrase could be the reason why oftentimes what happens is hating the sin, is what we're doing is we're hating the sin and we're dehumanizing the sinner because we do that sometimes, and that's a problem. And it appears that the church in Ephesus, they were so preoccupied, perhaps, with hating the sin, with snuffing out the sin, that they have lost sight of the love, what defined them, what ultimately originally found them, and it's resulted in a loss of light-bearing. And so here's this question that, that all this exploring, all this, this depth that, that I've felt like I've just been sitting in for the past few weeks, here's the ultimate question that I'm left with. If the Ephesian church, if they, if we are rooted in a love that is so deep and so wide, and so long, and so high, shouldn't we be willing to go to the very depths of where that love goes? Sometimes love may take us to the highest heights, and that's great, and we love that part. We love to celebrate when our love takes us to soaring heights with other people, but what I have found to be true is that most of the time, or, or so very often, it takes us to the dirtiest depths, a place that, that we just don't like to be, because it's hard, it's messy, the lines are, are blurred, and we don't know, it's, it's so hard to know what to do, but if the love of Christ found us there, and if the love of Christ is still so deep, so long, so wide, so high, isn't it enough for us to go the distance? I guess the question is, are we willing to go to the highest heights or to the dirtiest depths, even if it costs something from us? Even when it's hard, even when it might be uncomfortable, even though we know that if this person would just do this thing, that things would be so much better. But sometimes love requires more of us. Sometimes the love of Christ requires a little bit more than just saying you need to do this and you don't need to do this. Are you with me? But I know we can't do that until we have experienced the fullness of the love of Christ that he wants to give us. I'm aware of this. Because here's the thing. If you think that you have to earn your love from God, if you think that you've got to get everything right before God can meet you where you are and love you, then you're going to make everyone else work for it, right? If that's what you think, you're going to do that same thing. You're going to make someone else work for it. 
If you think that you can lose God's love for you as easily as I lose my keys and everything else that's not attached to me, if you feel like it's that easy, then, then you're going to hold closely the love that you feel obligated to give to others the moment they let you down. But if you know that, that just by being, that you are profoundly loved by God, and before you could do or say anything, he saw you and said, guess what? I love you. And nothing you ever do is going to change that. I love saying that to stubborn people. It's like the one thing that I can say to a stubborn person that you can't get wrong. <laughs> like, sorry, there's nothing you can do about it. God loves you and you'll never change his mind. If that's how you're approaching other people in that knownness, in that love, that kind of love, then you're going to be willing to go deep and wide and long and high. And so I want to invite everyone to do something that's going to feel a little bit odd at first. <laughs> Let's turn the lights off if we can. And I want everyone to participate, okay? Everybody who can, I want you to close your eyes. I'm going to invite you to use your imagination for a moment. Kids, please do this too. You guys have, a, have amazing imagination, so put them to work. I want to invite you to close your eyes this morning, and I want you to imagine Jesus. And I don't know what your vision of Jesus is, unfortunately. Unfortunately or fortunately, I don't know, Jesus will always look like the guy from The Chosen now. <laughs> I don't know what your view of Jesus is or how you picture Jesus, but either way, as best you can, I want you to picture Jesus, and I want you to imagine that he takes your face and he puts your face in his hands. And just like any Loving parent, he's looking at you eye to eye. And this is what he says to you. My child, you are deeply and profoundly loved. I know all that there is to know about you. I know the parts of yourself that you are the most proud of. And I know the things that make you feel the most ashamed. My child, I want you to know that my mind about you is made up. And take heart because the news is good. I made you. I know you. I laid down my life for you. And I have called you and equipped you and empowered you to share this love with those around you who desperately need it. And if you allow me, I want to give you an imagination for how loved you are. And I want to give you an imagination for how you can love them as I have loved you. I want you to sit in that reality and take it in. 
with your eyes still closed, I'm going to ask you to shift gears. And I want you to imagine a person or maybe a type of people you find are the most difficult to love. And with a holy imagination, I want you to imagine the ways brought to you by the Holy Spirit that you can show a deep and wide and long and high kind of love to them, to that person, to those people. And we're talking like deep depths. Keep your eyes closed and focus on on these things. We're talking deep depths. We're talking like seeking to heal wounds rather than react to those who are wounded. We're talking about the depths of of showing mercy rather than immediately passing judgment. Depths that attend to the needs of them, of that person, maybe someone who's the neediest of the needy, attend to their needs with a patient, abiding love. We're talking depths that show compassion, whether or not it's received or recognized by others. We're talking depths like becoming a source of comfort and encouragement to others rather than being a source of condemnation. We're talking depths that go beyond words. A love that reveals itself with actions in tangible ways, even if it's costly even if it's hard and messy. Holy Spirit, give us such an imagination. I'm going to ask the praise team to come. You can open your eyes. I don't know if that did anything for you or not. It's okay if it didn't. But I wonder if... Could it be, is it possible that the more we explore this love of God, as Paul does in this passage, the more we immerse ourselves in it, the more we sit in the reality of it, could it be that that then we will be more willing and compelled to give it away to others? If we are rooted in a love that is so deep, so wide, so long, and so high, shouldn't we be willing to go to the very depths of where that love is already going? It's already going. The love of Christ is already there. He's already there with those people that are hard for you to love. And he's inviting you to come along to share this love that you've experienced with those who are resisting it, who are, you better believe, they're doing all that they can to resist it sometimes. But he's inviting you to generously share what you know and to not abandon it. Don't let anything take your eyes off of this, that which we are called to be. And it is then that we will see our fruitfulness because God is moving in those places. Amen? Amen.
can stand with us as we sing about the love of God, the most beautiful and easily accessible image of that love that we're celebrating today, the cross.
we're going to transition to um, a time of receiving communion. And I just want to take this opportunity to remind you that this is a holy, sacred moment. And so I want everyone to enter into this space or to come to the table, which is a imagery that we often use. Come to this table acknowledging that this is such a sacred moment where we are acknowledging two things. We are acknowledging the, the heights and the depths and the width and the length of Christ's love. All right, receiving communion, the moment that you touch and hold that little wafer, the moment that you touch and hold that little container of juice, you are, are touching and holding tangible signs of grace. And there's nothing magical or, or powerful about this bread and this juice. It's what it represents, it represents the depths of Christ's love for you. But something else that we acknowledge when we gather at the table every single month is that we come empty, got nothing left kind of, a, of an attitude, right? And of, of a posture of just, I need more of you, Jesus. Could you, could you give me more of you? And so we are inviting Jesus to fill us with more of him so that we can go and love others the way that he's called us to love. That is what we are doing in this holy, sacred moment. And so I'm going to ask Pastor Bo to come and help me. And here at BFCN, we have what, what we call an open communion table policy, meaning you don't have to be a member of BFCN to receive. All are invited. And if you know that you need more of the grace of God in your life, if you acknowledge your need for a savior, then you are invited to come in just a moment. In just a moment, our ushers will dismiss your rows. And, and if you will hold on to your elements, we will receive them together at once. And at this time, I'm going to ask if there's anyone who is unable to come forward, if you would raise your hand and I will bring these to you. God, we come together this morning and we thank you for these gifts God, we thank you for these gifts that we can touch, that we can hold, that remind us of the depths of your love. May this meal, may this meal sustain us. May it fill us in such a way that we can go out into the world and be the love of Christ that is living and breathing and, and coming into contact with other people in such a way that they would see how profoundly and deeply loved they are. Through your strength, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Friends, on the night that our Lord and Savior was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so I invite you to take and eat and be thankful. And after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the blood of the new covenant that is shed, that is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. May you drink it and let it preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. And so friends, take, drink, be thankful.
Thanks be to God. I invite you to stand and sing this doxology with us. I saved the last two verses of our passage today because they too are a doxology and serve as the perfect benediction. And so if we could have that on the screen, friends, I invite you to go in the grace and peace of our Lord. And I encourage you while I'm waiting for the words to come onto the screen (laughs) to learn the name of someone you haven't met yet, to learn the name. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all you ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Go in his peace. You are dismissed. Have a great day.